So church, we are about to hear from Pastor Joe this morning, but before we do that, please grab your Bibles, grab a pen, grab a notepad, load up the Bible app on your phone, and turn with me to Colossians 1 verse 24. Colossians 1 verse 24, Paul's labor for the church. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Amen. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Once again, brothers and sisters, it is a joy to be able to come into your homes and to share the Word of God with you. I'd like to begin off by apologizing and congratulating you for making it through the marathon of a sermon last week. Now, I apologize not for the message that was shared and the points that were communicated. I apologize for the length because I realized it wasn't very wise on my part because you may have actually lost some of the most important points within the sermon because it was just so long and knowing what I'm like as a person, very often I won't go back and have a look to sort of re-emphasize what those points were. So be assured that today we won't go to such extremities in this morning's message, but I do want to remind you what those three points were from last week because they are directly connected to what we're going to be looking at today in the book of Colossians. So we had three points last week to take from Obadiah's example. The first one being that we can still effectively serve God and God's people despite the limitations that we face. It was also that being aware of God's working, even though it's in the middle of trouble. And lastly, to trust God irrespective of whether change takes place or not. See, knowing that he is working, knowing that he has the ability to see the bigger picture and because of our limitations and our capacity not to see such things, we in the end just have to trust. Trust in God's sovereignty, trust in God's preeminence, trust in God's supremacy. And so we had a reading from Nick this morning, taken from Colossians chapter 1 verses 24 through to 29. And that passage in and of itself exemplifies the necessity and the reality that you and I need to just trust. To trust even though things may not immediately change. To trust even though we may not see the results we want to see, but understanding and knowing that God has everything under control. And now this is evident from this passage, because in this passage there are what's called, I like to call, five elements that constitute the Christian life. And we began in the book of Colossians looking at the celebration of God's love that is found and manifest within the church. 
We have looked and celebrated at Passover, at Easter time, the celebration of God's love in Christ, in both in his sacrifice and in his resurrection. And today we're going to look at what I call the celebration of our life in Christ. And in our life in Christ, we see these elements manifest and it's something for, to encourage, but also to prepare us for the life that we have is as followers of Jesus Christ. Um, I want to say thank you to Joyce because Joyce, when she shared what she did about the puzzle, about the having the frame in order to, to put everything else in and everything else makes sense. This essentially, as we look at Colossians, look at the person of Christ, look at the Christian life we have in Christ, look at the people that surround us in Christ. That is the framework by which we interpret everything around us. This, this here is the framework by which we interpret what is taking place. And so it's important for us, and it's very appropriate that Joyce shared the message that she did, because it makes perfect sense. We need to take a step back, have a look at the frame that God establishes us in, and then everything else starts to make sense. Everything else begins to fit into place. So I'm going to open in a word of prayer, and let's open the scriptures and look at the word of God together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a good, good Father. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whom we have life, and whom we have been made new and accepted in the Beloved. As we look at your word this morning, I pray you will help us, even though we're in our homes, to do away with any distractions and focus solely upon you, upon your greatness, upon your mercy, upon your grace, and upon your love. Please use me as your vessel, Lord, to speak clearly your heart, and may I step out of the way so that you might be exalted and that you might draw all people to yourself. Use us now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, five elements or five components that make up our Christian life, our life in Christ that we celebrate today. And it actually begins in verse 24. The first sentence that Paul begins with in verse 24 says this. Now, I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. I just want to stop it there. Now, I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. Now, the first element of our Christian life, of our life in Christ, is not rejoicing. No. Although that does take place and can take place and can occur. But I've noticed in my own life, it usually occurs in hindsight when we look back and see God's hand at work and see him moving and what had taken place in the past. No, the first element of the Christian faith is that of suffering. It's actually suffering. I want you to take note of the specific way Paul words the sentence. He says, I rejoice. That word rejoice means to be glad in or to take delight in. He says, I take delight. I am glad in what I am suffering. Now, suffering is something Paul was well acquainted with. You see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 to 28. We have a record of all the suffering, all the, the suffering that took place from without, meaning that there were people or things, or situations, or circumstances around him that were out of his control, and that he suffered. For example, in that passage, we read of the five times he received 39 lashes. 39 lashes. Five times. We read of the three times that he was beaten with rods. We read that he was shipwrecked. We read that he was out on the open sea for a day and for a night. He described that he was in danger from pretty much everything. He was in danger from rivers. He was in danger from bandits. He was in danger from fellow Jews. He was in danger from Gentiles. He was, he was in danger in the city. He was in danger in the country. He was in danger at sea. He was sleep deprived. He was hungry. He was thirsty. 
was under constant pressure. Why? Even while he's writing this letter to the church at Colossae, he's under house arrest in Rome. So suffering would be a close friend of Paul. He understood what suffering was from without, but he also understood what suffering was from within. We read that personally, he suffered a thorn in the flesh. That's from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. So Paul knows suffering. But what I like is that he actually emphasizes and endure and endures such suffering, and he says those last two words in the sentence, for you, for you. It is this aspect of suffering, or not, sorry, we read personally that he suffered from the thorn, and here is the, the aspect of suffering that we either overlook, we willfully ignore, or we fail to understand. And that is that suffering, when endured for something else, for someone else, for a cause greater than yourself often makes everything else or allows us to endure such things that we encounter. For the rest of verse 24 says this. It says, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions. What that basically means, it's referring to the suffering of God's people, the, the afflictions that they were to go through as they represent Jesus Christ. Paul actually says this in Philippians 3.10 when he says that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable to his death. Suffering is to be expected as you live and follow Jesus Christ. And he says this at the end, for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now you might have some trouble understanding it, but let me clarify for you. Remember, when one understands the why someone does something, then one is prepared to endure whatever it is that they encounter. When one understands the why, then the what becomes a necessity or a tool that you must go through. And while suffering may not be welcomed, suffering may not be, might be something that you're excited about, when it's understood, even slightly, it can help us to accept it because we see a greater goal that is brought about. For suffering of the Christian, for suffering for the person who lives in Christ, has a twofold purpose. Purpose number one, growth. Suffering brings about growth. Effective, long-lasting growth takes place during suffering. When suffering is connected with godliness, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says, Yea, all those who live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution. So when you live godly, you suffer. And when you proclaim the gospel of Christ, when you represent Jesus, John 15, 9 says, I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. See, the blessing of growth occurs in such times as these, that it is in difficulty, that it is in hardship, that growth happens, that our dependence grows, that our knowledge of God grows, that our claiming of his promises grow, that the foundation that we stand upon becomes more established and becomes more secure. Case in point, if you look at James chapter 1 verses 2 to 4, we read this, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Consider it pure joy. What? Consider it joy? Read further on as to what takes place. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature 
and complete, not lacking anything. You know what that's called? Growth. You consider it pure joy because you persevere, and in such perseverance, there comes a maturity, there comes growth. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, which a lot of us know, but in the second part it says, therefore, therefore, when he says, uh, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. This is Jesus talking to the Apostle Paul. In the second part of that verse, it says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest upon me. You know what that's called? Growth. Growth in relationship. Growth in intimacy. Growth in knowing Him who is your God, who is your Savior, and who is your friend. That's what happens. Growth takes place during suffering. That's the first aspect of why we go through such things. You know what the second thing is that we go when we go through such things? Is that of a witness. You become a witness of who God is to those around you. Seeing the power of Christ rest upon you, having your character developed whereby uh, I have no lack in the suffering, in the trials, and in the tribulations that we encounter, also proclaims the reality of Jesus Christ to all those around us, whether they know Jesus or not. It's the truth of Matthew 5.16, let your light so shine before men so they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. It is the evidence of Philippians 4, 7, the peace that transcends all understanding. It is the, it is the truth, it is the blessing of a, of a foundation that cannot be shaken and upon whom we stand. I mean, in, in Matthew 7, 24 and 25, Jesus is speaking about the, the people that build their house upon a rock and those that build their house on the sand. And the way he terms it in verses 24 and 25 speaks to this. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a man or a wise man who builds his house on a rock. And the verse 25, it says, it did not fail because it had its foundation upon the rock. It's a witness. It's a witness that through all of this that's going on, the peace that you experience because of Jesus Christ shines as a light that don't know him. Actually, it shines as a light to those who do know him. The encouragement that it is to someone else that that not it's not that they're um, fearful. It's not that they're, they're they're being anxious. It's just an encouragement to see that people have an understanding that their hands are in the palms of our heavenly Father, irrespective of what is going on around us. And that is a great witness of the reality of Jesus Christ, which challenges me actually as to the the witness that I give, and and how I'm encouraging people as I look to and, and bless others and in my relationship with him, how that reflects the presence of God and the reality of God in my life to those around me. You see, there are too many of us, and this is, I'm speaking from personal experience here, there are too many of us, though, that suffer not because we are living godly in Christ, not because we are proclaiming Jesus, uh, but because of, uh, how can I put this, because of dumb choices. We suffer because of dumb choices. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14 reminds us of this. It says, if you're going to suffer, don't let it be because you're a murderer or because you're a thief or because you're a criminal or even because you're a meddler, a busybody, a gossip. Don't, don't suffer for those things. Rather suffer because you're fulfilling the will of God. Because when you suffer for doing the wrong things, then one, your growth is hindered. 
Your growth is hindered because you failed to see him who is the vine dresser, him who is the keeper of the vineyard. You fail to see him, firstly, and second, your witness becomes less effective. Because people in the world that are feeling anxious and who are looking for answers that look to you, who are supposed to have the answers in Christ, are acting the same way. They'll be like, well, okay, maybe this Jesus they serve isn't really as powerful as what they say. I mean, that's just something that we need to keep in mind. And that's why it's important that we spend time getting to know and trusting in Him. Praise God, though. Praise God, and here's the blessing. Praise God that we don't have to remain there. Praise God that we don't have to stay in that, that position, but rather even to repent from those dumb choices and turn to him who is full of grace and full of mercy. We don't have to remain there because repentance is a beautiful thing. Uh, 1 John 1, 9, which you should all know. Uh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness. God's grace is more than enough. But that is the first element of our life in Christ. That we celebrate our life in Christ even in suffering because growth takes place and because we are a witness of his goodness and of his love. So what's the first one? First one is suffering. Thank you for saying nothing if you didn't. Okay, all right. Anyway, the second element, the second element is that of serving in verse 25. Now here's a thought for you to consider. Here's a thought for you to consider that your salvation, that my salvation, that your deliverance from sin, my deliverance from sin, that your citizenship in heaven, that, that you're a new creation, that you have a newness of life, that you have a renewed mind is not for you to live contentedly, sit back, relax and be waited on hand and foot, meaning that you just expect things to come to you. But rather, all of these things that we've received in Christ is not so we can sit back and do nothing, but rather that we can serve and that we serve others because this was the very heart of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ says this, whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's Matthew chapter 20 verses 27 and 28. In verse 25, we read this. So after we read how he is suffering, he rejoices in the suffering for you, verse 25 says, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. Verse 25 speaks to the fact that serving is an appointment of God. That serving is a commission of God. It is the outworking of God's word through you for others and to others. And it is a privilege that you and I have. It's a privilege to do so, not only to serve God, but to serve others as well. You see, our existence, our purpose is for others. So others see Jesus. So others experience the love of Jesus. So others will come to know Jesus through you and I living out the gospel. When you read, when you read through the scriptures, all you see, especially in the New Testament alone, you can come up with numerous passages that refer or that promote others-mindedness. I've got a list here of things. And this is just scratching the surface. For example, love one another, John 13, 34. Honor one another, Romans 12, 10. Live in harmony with one another, Romans 12, 16. Accept one another, Romans 15, 7. Encourage one another, 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Serve one another humbly, Galatians 5, 
13. Bear one another's burdens. Galatians 6.2. Be kind and forgiving to one another. Ephesians 4.32. Submit to one another. Ephesians 5.21. Forgiving one another. Colossians 3.13. Admonishing one another. Colossians 3.16. And spurring one another on to love and good works. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24. That is just scratching the surface. But with that brief overview, this point is pressed. It's about others. Jesus Christ came for us, not for himself. He gave his life for us, not for himself. He rose from the dead for us, not for himself. He ascended into heaven for us, not for himself. He is now seated on the right hand of God for us, not for himself, as our advocate and as our intercessor for us, not for himself. He is others-minded. Therefore, if we are to live as Jesus lived, walk as Jesus walked, then my purpose and my focus should not be for myself, but for others. It's others-minded. It's about serving. Even, I mean, that's just within the church. And, and the reason why we experience all this within the church is not for us, but for others, that then we, in turn, go out. I mean, even the Great Commission in, in Matthew 28 even the Great Commission itself is for others to go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey. Uh, go out and preach the gospel in Mark 16. Go out and preach the gospel. It's for others. That's It's for others. So that others, a, a, a brother, a gentleman by the name of uh, Gordon Booth, Gordon Booth, his joke was where William Booth was the the captain of the Salvation Army. He was the captain of the Salvation Navy. He was actually a ship ship's captain. He was actually the uh, the gentleman who who I don't know what he could, I don't know, piloted. I don't know, but he he actually he actually was the captain of the Doulos. So he travelled around the world taking books and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ all over the world. And and he loved doing it. He was in the Second World War after he finished the Second World War, and he became he came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and he became a part of the Doulos. And so he walks around calling himself the captain. Of the, of, the, of, the Lord's, of the Lord's Navy. I thought that was really cool. The Salvation Navy. I'm, I'm babbling. I'm sorry. Okay. But it's for others. And it was actually Gordon Booth who said this. He said, the church is an entity that exists entirely for the benefit of its non-members. The church is an entity that exists entirely for the benefit of its non-members. And that is true. See, while we enjoy the blessing of honoring, of living harmoniously, of encouraging, of forgiving... Of, of, of blessing each other, that for the purpose, with the reason why we do such things within these four walls of the church, is so that we can go out to those who don't know Jesus and bring them into the fold, as Jude says, to snatch from some from the fire. That's, that's the reason why we didn't automatically go to heaven when we came to know the Lord Jesus. That's the reason why when we came to know the Lord Jesus and the intimacy of that beautiful relationship that's established through faith in Him and what He's done for us on the cross. The reason why we are still here now is for others. So that others might be drawn to Jesus Christ. So that others get a chance to hear the good news. So that others get to see the light that you shine as you depend upon Him. That's serving. That, that is part of our Christian life. That is our life in Christ and a privilege for us to be a part of this other mind others mindedness described here is for you and i to effectively function in order to reach a world that doesn't know jesus so that's the second one 
So the celebration of our life in Christ so far, the elements we have is the first one is suffering. Yeah, well done. Well done. The second one is serving. It's about others. The third one, this one I think is quite interesting. Have you ever noticed how a lot of people like to be in the know? A lot of people like to be up at the latest gossip. They love to have or to be the, the one that knows all the problems, knows all the situations. Um, the Bible refers to such a person if it's... Uh, if it's, if it's not for, for the right reasons, as a busybody, as a busybody. Um, but a lot of people are like, there are a lot of people like that. And, and be honest, sometimes we like to hear, we like to hear stuff, okay? Now, this third one, this third one is something that I think we often forget and we often take for granted the fact of what we have. This third element of our Christian life, where our life in Christ is that of a secret. Let me explain. In verse 26 and 27, we read this. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This I think is absolutely amazing because this is the mystery that is kept hidden and is now revealed to us. The mystery is often referred to just as the gospel and everything that the gospel incorporates. The humility of God himself and adorning himself in, in flesh. The greatness of a love that, that God in human flesh when he was nailed to a cross. The, 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 the power, the power of his resurrection when he conquered the grave the compassion and the mercy that continues to advocate on my behalf the mystery is that of god incarnate and second i sorry first timothy chapter 3 verse 16 we read this beyond all question the mystery from which true godliness springs this is where true godliness springs he appeared in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, and believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. You know what that mystery is? The mystery is God incarnate. The mystery is Jesus Christ. The mystery is the fact that we know what this mystery is. And he has been revealed to us. And the mystery goes even further than that because it's a mystery now that even I don't fully understand, but it's a reality that if you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you get to partake of even now. You know what that mystery is? It is the mystery of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. That, that this, that this, that this body is the temple of the living God. That the Holy Spirit dwells within me and dwells within you. That's a mystery. It is the mystery of Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. That I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. See, I, I don't understand how that works, but it's a reality. It's the mystery of Christ living within us. It is a mystery that I am told in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. It's a mystery that angels desire to look into. That angels themselves don't fully comprehend and don't fully understand the intimacy of the relationship that, that I share with my Heavenly Father, with having Jesus Christ, having God dwell within me, because angels will never, never get to partake, never get to participate in such a privileged position 
that we have. This is the mystery that we've, that's been made known to us and revealed to us in Jesus Christ. Man, you want to know a secret? That's the secret. You want to know a mystery? You want to be in the know? Man, you can't get more in the know than that. The fact that God himself lives in you. That the fact that God empowers you. The fact that God has given you his word. The fact that God has given you a, a new heart and a new spirit. The fact that God has given you a new life and a new identity. Man, that, man that's, that's being in the know. That's knowing the secret. That's having that revealed to us in Jesus Christ. And, and we, because we become so accustomed to hearing such truths, we sort of play it down. Man, don't play it down. Don't play it down. It is far too exciting to be played down, rather to be appreciated and to be embraced. Because this is why it goes on to the fourth one. So we have, we have so far, we have suffering, we have serving, we have, we have shh, secret. But then it causes us for this next one is to shout. Is to shout. And we spoke and we touched on this in the marathon we had last week. We touched, but in verse 28, we read this. He is the one we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. So last week when we were going through the Psalms, we referred several times, or at least a couple of times, to that whole idea of shouting, of proclaiming, of praising, praising God's goodness, praising God's grace, praising God's provision, praising God's blessing. Why? Because that changes our focus and our perspective. He is the one we proclaim. That if we are suffering, we experience his power and his peace. That in our serving, we receive his gifting and his enablement. That in the mystery, we receive his wisdom and his discernment. And in his proclamation, we receive his acceptance and pleasure of our worship. That he recognizes our worship, knowing, knowing that we are heard. Knowing that he inclines his ear to his people. Knowing that we are answered. Because I am promised, I am promised within the word of God that if I draw near to him, you know what he does? He draws near to me. That's in James 4.8. I am promised within the word of God that if I ask according to his will, he hears us. 1 John 5.14. And if I ask in his name, on his merits, he will do it. John 14 verses 13 and 14. It is the proclamation of our Lord that we receive admonition, we receive teaching, we receive wisdom in a way that matures us and that nurtures us in our relationship with Him. I remember just growing up, just growing up, and, and I remember and having to do this, like just saying thank you to my parents. And I, like, I've been talking this with my brothers, hey Shah, if you're watching, and Frank, and and Rudy and all you fathers, if you're watching, uh, love you guys heaps. But here's what's really cool, like appreciating the people that God had blessed me with in my parents. And I'm so thankful for them. I'm so thankful for them. And I remember saying to them and, and just thanking them as I got older and becoming a parent myself and, and moving over here and just showing how much I appreciate them. But when when I, I examined everything that they'd done, I couldn't help but share, well, that's a, that's a, great, that's a great blessing. Uh, my little brother Frank at my dad's farewell, uh, one of the things he said was, you see the evidence of how good a job my parents did in raising us by looking at the way we raised our kids. And you see this affected in, in the way our, our kids are. And we've got some really good kids. I mean, my kids are absolutely amazing. 
Man, my, my brother's kids are really cool. My sister, even my sister's kids are pretty awesome. They are great kids. Nelson, Nelson. Hey, Nelson, I hope you're watching. But you, you, you see that. But see, when you do that, what happens? Your focus changes. And, and that's just it. So when we look at, and we shared about this last week, when you look at what God has done, who God is, the, the fact that he has the bigger picture in mind, the fact that he, he has this frame and where he is putting everything within, and when we interpret that from his frame and not our own, man, you cannot help but shout. You cannot help but proclaim. You cannot help but joyously, joyously worship and praise him for who he is. And, and that's part of the Christian life, of our life in Christ that we celebrate. We get to shout. And which, which leads me to our last point, our fifth point. Told you it wasn't going to be a marathon today. All right. Our last point is that of strength. Verse 29. So we've got so far, we've got suffering, that our life in Christ, suffering, we have serving. What's the third one? Shh. Yeah, that's right. Secret. Shh. Secret. Next one is shouting. And this last one is strength. That our life in Christ is that of strength. Now, okay. All I'll touch on here. Verse, verse 29 says, To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. That's a great verse. I contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. In me, and all I'll touch on in here is that God uses things contrary to how we would, humanly speaking. We, humanly speaking, we expect to do things. We we attack things from a human perspective. We look at, especially when it comes to the things of the spiritual world, which which we don't have the capacity to fully comprehend outside of Jesus Christ. But we are told within the Scriptures, Isaiah fifty-five, that His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. That his ways are higher than my ways. As high as the heavens are from the earth, so are his thoughts higher than my thoughts, and his ways higher than my ways. He sees and does so much more than what you or I could ask or even imagine. From, from, think about it, from conquering a fortified city in Jericho by, by setting up a whole bunch of musos to walk around the city first, and then they scream, and then they yell, and the walls came tumbling, come tumbling down. I mean, look, that's, that's not the most ideal of battle plans. Gideon, uh, the Sunday school uh, the Sunday school lesson this week was going looking at Gideon. Gideon defeated an army of 135,000 people with 300 men, but not using weapons, by using trumpets and breaking water jars. Yeah, that's, that's a different battle plan, isn't it? That's how God, that's how God works it. Um, whether it be a, a, a young boy defeating a giant, with a stone, whether it be Jesus feeding 5,000 people with a, a young boy's lunch, whether it be to the overcoming of sin, whether it be the destruction of Satan's hold, whether it be the, the, the reconciliation of you and I to God through Jesus Christ, who, who through obedient submission defeated the devil, who through sacrifice broke the devil's hold, resulting and a victorious resurrection that shows that God works, God works in the weakest, like God works best, should I say. God works best in the weakest of vessels. That's, that's the reality. That, that energy Christ so powerfully works in me, that God works best in the weakest of vessels. Remember 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9? Now it says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. 
for the, 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 the power of Christ may rest upon me. And then it says in verse 10 that he goes, that, that most gladly, therefore, I will glory in my infirmities and my weaknesses and this, that, and the other. Why? For when I am weak, then I am strong. Why? Because of the power of Christ. That's the, the, the energy that works so powerfully within us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 speaks that it is the lowly, that it is the weak, that it is the foolish things that God chooses to work through so that no one can glory in his presence. In order for us to experience the powerful working of Christ in me begins with following the same example that Jesus set for us. That of obedience, that of submission, that of humility, and that of sacrifice. I'm going to say those things again. That's the example that Christ had given us. That of obedience, submission, humility, and sacrifice. These are the five elements that we celebrate as in our lives in Christ. The celebration of our life in Christ. These five elements that I want to stress, it's not a checklist that I've given for you to tick off to assess the legitimacy of your relationship with God or the relationship of others or, or somebody else's spirituality. It's not a checklist for you to do that. That's another sermon entirely. But rather, this is a preparation. This is a preparation for us that when we encounter such things, that when we, when we come across suffering as we live for Jesus Christ, it's not going to be a surprise. That, that when we have the expectation to serve God and to serve others, we won't shy away from it. Why? Because it's an expectation of our lives in Christ. That when we have the secret message, this message of hope, the, 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 the hope of glory that dwells within us, that, that we have the secret not to keep to ourselves, but in order to proclaim it, in order to share it, that that's not a surprise. That, that the, whole, the whole idea of shouting, of proclaiming, of, of publicly proclaiming, of not, not being an undercover Christian. Not being, I heard the story of a guy who, went, who was worried about his son who went into the army, and then he said to it, he called his dad, he goes, how are you going as a Christian in the army? And he goes, oh, dad, it's fine. They don't even know I'm a Christian. Why? Why is that? Oh, I haven't told anybody. It's not about us being undercover Christians, rather, but to shout from the rooftops, proclaim from the rooftops that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That that's not a surprise. And lastly, to experience the strength that is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Man, that's that's absolute. That we won't. That we won't find it as a shock when God gives you the words to say at the appropriate time. When God gives you the ability to overcome a sin or a trial that you've had difficulty overcoming. That that won't be a surprise because that is part of our life in Christ. And that is worth celebrating. That enables us to view our lives, to trust, to trust in suffering to trust in serving, to trust with the message we have, with the mystery that we know, to trust as we shout, and to trust as we encounter and as we experience the strength that we are given in Christ. Man, that, that is worth celebrating. And that is something I want you to hold on to, for me to hold on to, and to, to, surely, to, to, sorry, to merely rejoice and to take joy in. So with that, brothers and sisters, I'm going to close in a word of prayer and then I'm going to invite my sister Joyce to sing one more song for us and then, uh, then we'll, we'll, we'll call, it a, call it a morning. So, well done. You enjoyed another day. Um, remember, we've got the Zoom meeting after this. It'd be really cool if you can join us. Uh, Jono, uh, we'll send out a link and then we'll uh, meet at the Zoom meeting. So let me pray and then I'll ask my sister Joyce 
to come and close for us. Father, we thank you so much. Thank you so much for the celebration of our life in Christ. That even with the elements that we encounter, the elements that are, that are, that are there in front of us, and not to be looked at in a fearful way or to be shied away from, but rather we would find our trust to be able to endure such things because our trust and our hope is in you. We thank you for making known to us the mystery of the gospel in Jesus Christ and that we will not hold such things together uh, and hold it to ourselves, but rather proclaim boldly the wonderful joy it is to know you as our Father and as our God. Dismiss us now, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks, brothers and sisters.